could he do that? Are you on What? Charles Darwin. The nerves is where it's at. Welcome everybody back into Nerd Sesh. As always, I'm Carson Brever, and alongside me is Logan Camden. And today, we are on the tail end of a week of NFL action, but not as close to the end as we normally would be on a late Monday afternoon because, obviously, of several games being rescheduled due to COVID. But nevertheless, we have the vast majority of this week's action to talk about, and we're going to do that today. I think the most interesting place to start is with a particular moment that we saw in one of the biggest games yesterday, and that was the Ravens going for two, down 31-30, trying to win their game outright against the Packers in regulation with about 40 seconds on the clock. They didn't get it. This is now the second game in just a few weeks that they have been cost by going for two in that kind of situation, down one. A lot of people have criticized the decision. A lot of people have said it was the right call. So, Logan... What did you think about that decision to go for two there? Uh, you know, I don't, especially in this Green Bay game, I really don't mind the the Ravens going for two. You're taking on Aaron Rodgers. Uh, you have this massive comeback. You have a backup quarterback in. No, I fully support the decision against Green Bay to go for two. And I know all the analytics will tell you in most situations when given that opportunity, um, you should do it. That also being said, uh, you also needed to put the pressure on Rodgers, man. Like, I mean, he also he would have had a minute 30 left in this game to go back and potentially win it with a field goal or a, um, you know, or a TD. Obviously, they're going to go for the field goal. Uh, I like the, personally, I like it against Green Bay. As it pertains to, like, going against Pittsburgh, like, honestly, I don't really mind it that much either. I know I criticized it last time, but Mark Andrews, man, like, if he gets in, we're not hating on this anymore. And again, when you need two yards and you have Lamar Jackson out of the shotgun, man, I'm taking that all day. Like, it's a really high probability look no matter how, which way you look at it. I am I am on the fence, Carson. We've had this debate between me and you on the couch many a time. If it is early in a game, or actually, if you're presented with an opportunity where it's fourth and goal or fourth and close, I am a take-the-points kind of guy. Um, in this situation, I don't really mind going for it. And it's kind of... I don't know, man. It's kind of like the identity of... And I think it's part of the culture and identity of Baltimore as well, man. You know, these guys don't want to... They want to finish this shit in regulation. Excuse my language. They want to They want to handle business. They're not playing for a tie. They don't even want that on the table. They are. They want to finish this outright. And I think it's... I think it's important to keep that going as well. So, no, I, honestly, like, people can criticize it. Look, if... Mark Andrews has been open all night against Green Bay. If he had somehow gotten open and converted this two-point conversion, we're not complaining. You know, it's it's all because of the results and why we're questioning this. I personally don't mind the Ravens doing this at all. I think it's a good call, too. And that is the nature of sports, of course. And really, I mean, just any discourse about anything remotely controversial is going to be so results-oriented. And now... You have two different instances in which the results have gone against Harbaugh being aggressive. I think it's really interesting that this is always made into an analytics debate because, sure, the Ravens are a very analytically driven, smart franchise, and that is well established. At the same time, after that Steelers game, Jim Harbaugh said, I went with my gut. And actually, he said that he asked Lamar and looked at him and said, hey, I'm going to put the ball in the decision in my quarterback and best player's hand. 
And then yesterday, he again referred to it as a gut decision. So, sure, there's probably a general understanding of the probabilities there between going for it in that spot or kicking the extra point. But it's not like that is the driving factor here. And I think that in a spot like this, I agree with you. Given the matchup, I'm a supporter. My philosophy is in situations like that, specifically going for two, when it is literally, hey, do we want to go for the tie and go in overtime or do we want to try to win this game right now? I think there's kind of a simplistic mentality that I would have and that most teams should have. And that is, if you are the weaker team, be aggressive because... I would rather that the game come down to one play, which obviously can be more flukish. You can draw up one excellent play. You have all the tools to put yourself in position to execute that one play in which you need to get two yards as opposed to playing another 10 minutes in which it's okay. The other team is better than us. We've had a lot of difficulty stopping them. They have Aaron Rodgers, and it's like, who do I trust to then construct another quality drive? Probably the other team. There's the possibility that they get the ball to start things off and you never see it again. So I think that, like you said, this is a very different dynamic than that Steelers decision was. And even that one, I think, you know what? You're putting the ball in your best player's hands. That's okay. My contention would also be, though, in that game, the Ravens are the better team. And I feel like if that game is extended, whose offense do I trust to construct another legitimate drive in overtime? I trust the Ravens. And so because of that, I don't feel that you need to have that same urgency and put that pressure on yourself and distill it down to one play. But it's just like a classic philosophy in sports, right? It's the same reason that we talk about time of possession when you are going up against a great offense. All that is is limiting their opportunities. And it is basically saying, we don't think that we're better than you outright. So we are trying to make this game a smaller sample size because we think that we are the weaker team. Like, that is just the concession that you're making. And so, to me, it's kind of a similar thing if you're talking about going for two in that spot. But I think the Ravens have shown that they want to do that no matter what. And like you said, Mark Andrews was wide open on that play against the Steelers. And Marquise Brown was open yesterday. If Tyler Huntley had just looked his way, but he was super keyed in on Andrews throughout that entire play. So, I just think... It really is obviously an individualized decision every time, but it's so stupid to me that we can look at individual outcomes and say, oh, I hate the way that the sport is trending or attribute it to things that aren't even the driving factor in the decision. Like, it's just a dumb conversation that we have after. And I think given the context, it made a whole lot of sense to go for two, even though it didn't pay off because it's like, sure, it's a more dramatic way to lose. But what happens if you give Aaron Rodgers the ball to open overtime and he scores on you in three minutes, which is a very likely outcome? I don't know. I would have rather lost actually feeling like I put myself in a position to go out there and win the game instead of just trying to avoid losing it. Yeah, and I think you bring up the thing about Lamar from a player perspective. None of these guys want to play another extra period, man. They put their bodies on the line all game long. Like when you ask guys, they're going to want to finish it on that play. Circling back to the Steelers game too, You bring up a really interesting point. I am always in agreement when you are the worst team, when you are, when you're the worst team and you have a chance to win the game, you should go ahead and pull the trigger. And that's what made the Steeler game so confusing. It's like, this is a Steeler team that literally chose to punt the football to the Seahawks because they didn't trust their offense to gain 
four yards? Like they said, we would rather put the game in our defense's hands. And like, I know TJ Watt had been a menace in the backfield. The Steelers had been putting pressure on Lamar all game. But it's not like you trust the Steelers' offense to do anything in overtime. I'm always leaning on trusting my own offense, us being the better team. That's what made that one a little more puzzling. But um, if you have a chance to win the game, it's like, uh, look, man, we had Mike Vick in it, backup quarterback, a prime example of this. Uh, Three, four years ago against the Chargers, Steelers game comes down to the wire, and we run Wildcat with Le'Veon Bell. Sure, if he had gotten stuffed at the line... We may be second-guessing that decision, but it's like we got in and that's history. It shouldn't all be on the results. Situation definitely matters, and I think that's something that gets... Uh... And so I just think, I think in the, the context of... I think in the context of games like this, or just two-point conversions in general um, to win games, I, I don't think results should matter as much. Like, honestly, Carson... In situations like this, I'm never really that mad at the quarterback. Like, my my dad, or excuse me, at the quarterback, at the coach making that decision. My dad was. My dad was fuming. He's a big OT guy. He thinks that in any situation like this, you should try your hand at OT because you have extra time. And I get it. Him as a Steeler fan, that's the way we think. Every one of our games goes to overtime, and we got to win with a field goal. I'm never going to get mad. If you have a chance to win the game and you take that opportunity, it's like, it's like the... And this is a weird analogy. It's like the devil you know and the devil you don't, you know? What I do know is that I have a chance to win this game right now. What I don't know is whatever the hell is going to happen in OT. So honestly, any situation where a coach goes for two to win the game, I have no issue with it, man. Like, you're putting all your cards on the table in regulation and you're letting it ride. I uh, I like a little bit of I like a little bit of gambling with the game on the line. Um, And I think it's... Look, the, the results may always be 50-50, but I, I always like the decision to try to win it in regulation. And I think, again, there's several important factors. You can control many more of the variables on that one play than you can if the game is extended. And particularly look at the Ravens. When you have a quarterback like Lamar Jackson or Tyler Huntley, there's just a whole lot you can do to gain two yards. I mean, especially also just given how prolific their run game is, but those are guys who you can roll out, who you can mobilize as runners, who you can mobilize as quick decision makers in the passing game. Like you just have so many different options that I think it's very easily justifiable. If you want to criticize some aggression from Harbaugh and the Ravens overall, I think that there's a spot you can look at, and that is when they go for it on their opening drive, fourth and three from the Green Bay three-yard line. That I can understand because that's a situation where it's, okay, this early on in the game, that's not a super high probability chance. Your quarterback is just sort of finding his rhythm. Probably just take the points. I agree. You could also look at when they go for it on fourth and five on their own 30 with like 12 minutes left in the game and didn't get it. But I actually like that decision too. You're down two scores. It ended up not crushing them. But even if it did, it's like there's this conventional mentality where it's, okay, well, I'm on my own 30-yard line, and it's fourth and a medium distance, so I just can't possibly go for it here. That would be reckless. But so often, that just means that you're conceding defeat. I mean, you punt. Let's say they get a four-minute drive and a field goal out of it. Well, now your day is effectively over. And so, obviously, it can also go much worse than that. I just think, especially if your defense is injured and isn't playing well, 
And if you feel like you have a dynamic playbook and you have the kind of dual threat quarterback and some of the weapons who the Ravens do have, be aggressive. You're not the better team, but you have a legitimate chance in that sort of single play scenario. And I'm a fan. And again, I don't know if I could give any broad sweeping takeaways about always going for two versus kicking the extra point because I think that it does completely vary situation by situation. But I think it's dumb when we just look at the result and say, oh, this was the wrong call because I don't think it was in this case. So, all right, that was probably the most interesting moment of Sunday's action. But we did have a couple of wild outcomes on top of that. And I think that the most wild was the fact that the Arizona Cardinals not only lost to the Detroit Lions, but lost 30-12 and were convincingly down throughout that game. So, obviously, Logan, for much of the year, the Cardinals have been the most consistent team in football, seemingly, the one seed in the NFC. Now they've dropped consecutive games. They're 10-4. and four. They no longer hold that position as the top dog in the conference. And this was a loss to a Lions team that a few weeks ago did not have a win. So, should we be worried about them right now, given all that? I mean, this game was uh, was definitely rough for them, um, but like I, I really don't think we need to be worried. I think you can chalk this up to. I think you can chalk this game up against Detroit for a few things. I am worried about one thing, and that's the, that's them against play action. Like the Lions got the running game going early, and Golf was, Golf was dotting these. Uh, was dotting the linebackers in the secondary up. Like, off the play action, it just seemed like everywhere he was throwing to the sideline, over the middle, uh, he was ripping them apart. But the reason that I'm not going to overreact to this game, because, I mean, you'll also look at it and go, oh, well, the, the Cardinals have lost two straight now to the Rams and the Lions. Like, I think, one, this is a tough game to play for Arizona because you're coming off of a short week, and I know you have six days to prepare, but... That still matters, you know what I mean? Playing the Monday night game and then turning around and coming back on Sunday. You just have less time to prepare. Um, the Lions, they are strong in the trenches, uh, and this is a team that is tough to get push on. The Lions got a lot of pressure in this game and were able to get in the backfield. Like, I trust this team to protect their quarterback and to get pressure. They played ball control a lot of this game. And so, like, I don't know. Like, I guess... Some people will think it's concerning. Like, I just chalk this up to the Lions play really freaking hard and that it was a short week for the Cardinals. Like, I don't know, man. I'm not really all that... I'm not all that concerned. When the offense finally got clicking, like, I know Kyler wasn't efficient. He was able to move the ball late. Um, I No, I'm not worried about the Cardinals. I don't think that... I think this game may uh, bump them a notch below in my NFC hierarchy. Like, they're probably not number two for me the way they were... A week or two ago, I'd probably have Los Angeles in that spot, but I'm not worried about the Cardinals at all, and I still think they're a real contender. This is historic, Carson. I don't know if you read this stat. This is the first time in NFL history a one-win a one-win team has ever beat a double-digit win team uh, by double-digit points. Wow! So it's historic, and I guess you know when you're looking at box scores and when you're looking throughout NFL history, you can be concerned for that reason. But me personally. I think it was just kind of a. I, was kind of, I think it was kind of a fluke. So no, I'm not really all that worried about the Cardinals. I think that I largely agree. I don't think that we should draw any major takeaways from this one game. I will say though that there were concerning things, and you touched on some of it. 
There was a lot of openings in the run game for the Lions at a couple points, and they didn't end up being super efficient, but early on they ran for it and got it pretty comfortably on third and five twice. That's not great. And there were a lot of guys running open in the pass game. And situationally, the defense was not good. They let the Lions go eight of 16 on third and fourth downs combined. So if I were to key on anything, I would say defensively, even though they do only end up putting 12 points in this game, but I think you can attribute that to just some fluky stuff. You go for it inside the opposing three. You don't get it. That's obviously a problem. That's a game-swinging kind of moment. They couldn't capitalize on the only turnover that they forced. In fact, they turned the ball over themselves right after that, and the Lions got a nice long interception return. That's problematic. They couldn't capitalize on the fact that they recovered a Detroit onside kick, and you start a possession in opposing territory. So things like that, it's just moments where you look at it and you say, okay, they had a chance to really do something and they just consistently didn't convert. And sometimes games just kind of go like that. Yeah. And I mean, you have, you got a lot of penalties in this game. They had seven for 83, a, um, like none that I can think that were like super impactful to individual plays, but, uh, you had a couple PIs here and there. I, and I mean, all that just, all that adds up. That's how you lose to a, a one win lion squad. Right. So I would agree with you. It's a really bad game. Am I worried long term? Not particularly. So where are they out in the NFC for you? For me, I think they're I think they've solidified themselves at four, even after that dud the Bucks put up. I think that they're either three or four. And I will say the one concern that I do probably have from this game is and it's not just because of this game whatsoever, but you did see it exposed at some points, is, as I mentioned, the run defense. Just because the cards are 27th in rush yards allowed per attempt, and if you look at their upcoming schedule, they're playing the Colts next week, they're playing the Cowboys after that. So we could potentially see that flaw exposed even further, and this has been kind of the team that, for the most part, hasn't had any glaring flaws, and they've been able to post consistent top 10 offenses and defenses and do it through the air and on the ground. And that is now a flaw that I think has sort of cemented itself as being real with this team and could become even more concerning. But even with that, I don't know that I look at the other elite NFC teams and think, oh, they're going to expose that. There are playoff teams, the Niners, the Cowboys, sure, who I think they would be a problematic matchup because of that. But the Bucks, the Rams... The Packers, I don't really think so. Like, those teams have just not built their identities on that. The Bucks and Packers, neither of those are top 20 rushing attacks in fall. And the Rams have largely been very average running the ball. So, I don't know if, even though that is a concerning flaw, it is the kind of thing that will undo them just because of the matchups that they have. In fact, the Rams have actually produced less on the ground than like the Packers. They're 25th. They're 24th in yards per attempt. They have eight rushing touchdowns all year. So like, I don't know if that's going to get exploited. It, it really surprises me to hear you say that. Like, I, I don't know, man, like the, on the Bucks thing, like when Lenny's got his touches, he's looked pretty good. He's also, I just expect this rushing game to click into like just click as we get into the playoffs and then as for the Packers like 
Yeah, I agree. It, it, they even built their identities on it, but you've got really solid offensive lines. Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon pack one hell of a punch. I agree. I don't know if we're going to be able to see them like get fully exposed, but I mean, if if Tampa Bay or Green Bay gets up against the Cardinals early in those games, I can definitely see them following a similar, um, you know, a similar uh, play calling style like the Lions and just trying to run them to death uh, after they get up, like because I think they can. I think that they're talented enough to, uh, you know, run them into submission. Are, are you not in agreement with me? I see you making that face. The Bucks just don't run the ball. <laughs> like, that's just not how they do things. They're up there for the most pass-heavy offense in football. So, I would be surprised. They literally attempt the most passes and attempt the 29th most runs in the NFL. So, I just don't think they're ever going to predicate things on that, regardless of the matchup. So, it's a problem. I think that they are in that third or fourth spot in the NFC, but things are still liable to change. And I think that obviously they have one of the most dynamic playmakers on the planet at the quarterback position. They have dynamic playmakers alongside him. This has been a pretty darn good defense for most of this year. And this is a really, really bad game. And I think an important aspect of this is the Lions, by getting up early in this game, were able to completely negate a big uh, aspect of this Cardinals offense like they completely took the running game out of it because Connor and Edmonds were efficient with their touches but I mean it just became go out there and sling it Kyler and they were able to completely take that out of uh, Arizona's game plan because Arizona's a really good rushing team themselves so I mean yeah I, I just I wouldn't stress if you're a Cardinals fan uh hey I remembered them this week though I remembered they existed Carson I'm never forgetting that franchise again yeah, now is one of the roughest moments in trivia time history. For those who didn't see it, Logan spent about four minutes naming every NFL team except for the Arizona Cardinals trying to answer a question and could not remember them until I told him to look around and center himself and take a deep breath, and then it occurred to him. So, brutal loss for the Cardinals, no question. There was another NFC contender, though, that fell in also quite brutal fashion, and that was, of course, the Bucks who lost 9-0 in prime time. What do you make of that showing for them, but also for a Saints team that is now back in potential playoff position at 7-7? Seven and seven? Um, I mean, my biggest takeaway was just that I guess the Saints just have Brady's number. Like, I, I guess that's kind of the takeaway. I mean, in his career... Uh, with the Bucks versus the Saints, so this is not including games he played against New Orleans when he was in New England, 247 yards per game, 60% completion percentage, 8 TDs to 8 interceptions, and an average QBR of 76. I mean, Brady's just kind of an average QB against New Orleans. And then my other takeaway from the Buccaneers side is, I mean, just looking at this in retrospect, I thought maybe this is one of the worst games ever for Brady in an offense led by him ever. I mean, you have 13 total drives in this game. Nine of them, they don't even cross midfield. You don't score a single point. He has a completion percentage of 54. Those for 214 total yards. No TDs. Uh, throws a pretty bad pick. Like, um, mm -hmm. towards the sideline, just doesn't ever see the guy. Great job. I think it was Gardner Johnson who jumped that one. Has that abysmal fumble. Hey, man, shout out Tom trying to make a play, dude. But <laughs> it looks like he's running with cinder blocks on his feet. And then Cam Jordan, boop. 
and he has a 57 QBR in this game. I don't think it's his worst performance ever. Um, there's five other ones in his history that I took a look at in his career that I thought were definitively worse. Against the Saints, you remember last season, week nine, they score three points. He has three TDs, no, or excuse me, three interceptions, no TDs. Um, he's had some other bad ones. 06 against the Colts, no TDs, four picks. Against the Bills in 03, no TDs, four picks. And then I think he had another three-pick game against Indianapolis and a four-pick game against the Chiefs at some point early on. But I think definitively this was his second-worst start and output as a Buccaneer, and I think it's like a top-ten worst performance of his career. Um, I think the Saints have his number. I think that's definitive. And I also think that, again, because they're not trying to get dynamic with their game plan, because they're not trying to run the football, it's like it's kind of Bruce Arians getting caught up in his own world again you know what I mean like against that against the Saints the last time he ran it what nine times it's I think that all factors in um also uh, uh this is something interesting I thought uh, for this matchup Carson coming into this game he had the second longest streak of starts in NFL history without a shutout Brady had started 255 games without being shut out um so now Drew Brees definitively has the longest one in NFL history with 304 um I don't know, man. I mean, I just think I you can make a debate that the Saints have his number. They just took away all the intermediate and deep stuff. They forced him to check down, to hurry up, to throw all that underneath stuff. And I don't know, if, if you ask why, do you think that... Because I thought they did a good job at like limiting Mike Evans. You have Chris Godwin leave this game with a torn ACL. He's targeting Johnson. He's tar, uh, targeting Gronk. What's the other guy? Like Darden? What's his name? Uh, yeah, Darden. Like, he's just targeting... He didn't have his top guys out there. So I wonder if that factors in, you know, if you're asking a question of does Tom Brady need Evans? Does he need AB? Does he need Godwin to all be out there and be healthy to make him great? But I think the bottom line from this game, we can get into New Orleans uh, in a second, but I think the bottom line is, I guess Sean Payton's just got his number, man. Well, I think that this is a really, really good Saints defense. Clearly, one of the best in football and that has been enough to get them in a position where yeah they are a potential playoff team again and they're able to generate a lot of pressure against Tom which he has really not had to deal with a ton of this year and has done a great job of managing I mean you look at just how few sacks he's taken how quick his time to throw has been he's leading the NFL in both of those categories and that's really been essential, obviously, to his preservation. And then that's empowered by the fact that he has the kind of weapons around him who can get open and is able to make those quick throws and whatnot accurately. And they just didn't have that in this game. And 6 of 19 on third downs, that'll kill you. The two turnovers, I mean, that pick was brutal, man. That's not a Tom Brady throw whatsoever. That is like, wow, this guy's pressing when he's going off his back foot and really... It didn't seem like he ever should have made that throw regardless. So, yeah, it's brutal. And you mentioned, obviously, Godwin going out, Antonio Brown still suspended for this game, and he'll be coming back. There's a whole lot of factors that come together here. But it's sort of the same thing where I don't know if I look at this and think I'm overwhelmingly concerned about the Bucks. Like, it's so hard to find teams this year that haven't had those what-the-hell performances where it's just like, Everything goes wrong, and this is a great defense that did it. The Bucs still had chances to win this game because of how bad the Saints offense is, and they just didn't do it. But Tom Brady, 
has had certainly less like, oh, wow, that's concerning performances than he did last year. There were way more spots in which he looked human where he had, frankly, terrible games throughout last season than he has had this year. So given the fact that, yes, he is down a couple weapons and this is a great defense and they're getting pressure and, again, the Bucks aren't committed to running the ball in that way, just a whole lot of things came together. But I wouldn't look at this and say, oh, I'm so worried about the Bucks." I honestly think that the Saints are probably the more interesting side of this because that final NFC wildcard spot is so up for grabs. And after losing five straight, they're back in it. Yeah. I don't know. Like, yeah, I agree with you on the defensive aspect. Like, the Saints have always had a good defense. They're going to bring the house. My boy Marcus Davenport is finally showing out. I've been riding that train for a while. Showed out last night. Um, They get a ton of pressure. They play suffocating defense. They've got a lot of talent on that end. But And look, man, I'll give Sean Payton his credit on the offensive end. With no Michael Thomas, with very limited offensive weapons, with... I think the Saints have like one of the best O-lines in football, and I think that's a staple. But with very limited weapons, he's been able to take whatever quarterback is in there for him and you know change the style of his offense to match him. Jameis Winston, prone to throwing a lot of interceptions. Well, he opts to run a lot of shorter stuff, a lot more simple reads, a lot of stuff that's not going to get Jameis into trouble. With Taysom Hill in, uh, he's opting for more design QB runs to uh, run a more run-heavy attack like I just don't think it's there offensively. And, like, uh, I mean, hell, man, I'll give the Saints credit for getting nine and, and being able to drive semi-consistently against this Bucks defense because it's tough, especially when you have Taysom Hill in at quarterback. But I don't trust the Saints defense to do this every week to their competition, and I'm probably betting on Minnesota getting that last spot. Like, Minnesota is one of the most hot and cold teams in football, but I trust this team to go get points. I think the interesting thing about the Saints to look at, um, I'll let you talk about your, their playoff thoughts, but I think the most interesting thing about New Orleans is, Carson, if this team can somehow land a QB in this year's draft, mm-hmm. like the Saints are set. And I know that's what we've been talking about for a while. Um, is just like, well, first you talk about the culture and the identity that they have, but again, this is a great situation for any QB to step in with this offensive line. The defense is Super Bowl caliber already and ready to go. I don't think, I don't know, man, maybe th- this would be cutting Jameis, Jameis's rope a little short, but I think they should explore it and look for the future. I mean, I genuinely think you get a couple skill position guys in here at wideout, you get your future QB. I know that's easier said than done. The Saints just have such a good roster composition for a competing team. That's why they've been able to stay afloat with when they're lacking so heavily in skill position and meaningful offensive players. Um I'm out on their playoff hopes this year, though. I'm I'm all ahead to next year. All right. Well, I agree with you if we're talking about them actually doing anything significant in the playoffs because, I mean, if you look at the mold that they've had to take to come back and win over their last two weeks, well, first of all, they played the Jets last week, but they have had to not turn the ball over a single time. They've averaged 146 passing yards per game, and they've held their opponents to nine total points. So it's like, okay, against the dynamic offenses of the NFC, just against really good teams overall, is that sustainable? Is that replicable? Probably not. However, I don't know how you could say they are not, again, a legitimate contender for that spot because 
They have a half game in hand over the Vikings now, and Minnesota will play Chicago. Very well could win that game. Maybe by the time you're listening to this podcast, they already have. But although I think the Vikings are clearly the more offensively dynamic and fun team and just better team overall, they've got to beat the Rams, possibly. They've got to go to Green Bay over their final three. The Saints, all they have to do is host the Dolphins, the Panthers, and then go to Atlanta. Those are very winnable games in which they will not need overly dynamic offense. Like, that is a spot where you force a couple turnovers, you play good situational football, you run for 150 yards, and you could come out with three wins. So I think that that's significant, and I'm glad to see some redemption in this year for them just because it sucks when you have a talented roster like they have. You never want to just have a year of that window completely wasted because of circumstances out of your control like injury to your quarterback. I think that, sure, they could go for an upgrade at the quarterback position. I also think we'll see what happens with Michael Thomas going forward, but they do probably still need to bolster their weapons in the receiving game regardless. But I think Jameis is enough for this team to win 11 or 12 games. Now, that doesn't mean that there isn't a guy who would take them up another level and would make them like a Super Bowl favorite because, I mean, obviously the guys are out there. Like, whatever happens with Deshaun Watson going forward, I don't know. He's the kind of guy who could make them that kind of team. But they were 5-2 and two with Jameis. Jameis is a solid starting quarterback. And if they do bolster those weapons and given the talent on this defense and the fact that they have Alvin Kamara and just are really well coached and are well coached offensively, there's a whole lot to like about this team. Yeah, I agree. I still think, yeah, I I still think that Jameis um, limits them. Obviously, you can even see that again with how Sean Payton runs this offense and dictates him. But I think there is an argument to be made that he gives them the best chance to win for this next season. Again, you don't know about this QB draft class and what we've got coming in. Like, I don't know if there's any, there's no surefire guys that are going to step in here and be that are going to make them way better than they would be with Jameis. There's not going to be a whole lot of guys mm-hmm. on the market. So, yeah. I, it, in looking at it, too, I hadn't really looked at the schedules. Yeah, the Saints are probably going to make it. They're going to get throttled in the first round, though. I don't know. I don't care who they play. Well, what if they played the Bucks? Mm, are they getting throttled then? If Bruce Arians decides not to ever run the Rock, yeah, I mean, they have a chance at winning that. I would love that. Please, please, Taysom Hill, take Tom Brady out of the playoffs. That would be unbelievable. Brady might retire off of that. I don't know, man. Probably no. not. Given Are the you fact kidding that... me? Yeah, you're right. There, there's no chance. Brady's going to play until he's 70. Well, I mean... <laughs> There's no way he's going out with a loss to Taysom Hill in the playoffs. That man would lace up. You're right. Oh, he would get back in the gym and start grinding again. Brady's not going out. He's going out with a ring, probably. You're right. Bad comment by me. I guess a man can only dream. But Brady has been firmly in the MVP conversation this year. That is for sure. Hold up. I'll let you make this sweet transition because that was nice, Carson. I got to ask a question for you. I would actually like to complain. What was up with that? That was a great transition. That was a great transition. I I can run it back for you in a minute. We do spread picks every week, right? 
Mm-hmm. Carson, we need to come up with like an official result. Should we like uh or are we gonna put a wager on this or a punishment or anything? I don't really want to talk to you right now. You ruined my sweet transition. Punishment? We have a dunce cap, Logan. I think we should find a way to use that. But it's interesting to me that you're starting to think about this now after, you know, I led picks for 13 weeks. There was never any talk about any sort of long-term punishment. Next thing you know, a guy has, frankly, a historically bad couple of weeks. And now we're looking to hang me in the gallows. Is that what we want to do here? (laughs) No, nothing that's... I would never want to physically... uh, Mm-hmm. Harm you, my good friend, but I do think we could come up with an intriguing punishment. How about this? You can make me wear whatever jersey you want. You can get all kind of pictures promoted anywhere. But if I lose spread picks, I get to make you wear whatever jersey I want you to wear. How does that sound? And the dunce cap, of course. You have to rock the dunce cap. That's mandatory. What jersey are you going to make me wear that I'm going to be repulsed by? I'm trying to think about your collection. You're not going to buy a jersey, are you? Dude, if you give me a Tom Brady Patriots jersey, all right, I guess this is fair. But this is devious because you know that you're going to win. You're up like 10 games on me now. I thought you beat me this week. I did, but I haven't checked the exact math. Either way, you're at least a 60% favorite at this point. I have seven games on you, Carson, total. Okay. I've got three weeks to make that up. This is what I'm saying, though. You're a two-thirds favorite. So if you don't want to do it, I don't blame you, but I do think it would be, uh, I think it'd be pretty funny. Nah, let's do it. It'll be funny, especially when you walk around wearing a Tom Brady Patriots jersey. Speaking of (laughs) Tom Brady, Logan, he has been, for much of this year, probably the MVP favorite. He was my MVP pick at the midseason point. You were outraged by that. Obviously, Pretty rough week for him. A couple other candidates have really started rolling. Maybe a little bit of Aaron Rodgers. Maybe, I don't know, if you're a little bit crazy, a sprinkle of Jonathan Taylor. So now that we are winding down in this race and the odds for the award have become much, much closer between Brady and Rodgers, who would be your pick for MVP right now? And if you really want to get sent off to the psych ward, Carson, you'd sprinkle a little Micah Parsons action in there. Those people are crazy, bruh. Yeah. Um, I do think Tom Brady sold it this week. I was outraged at the midway point. I took Lamar Jackson. I shouldn't have been outraged. It was kind of the consensus at the point. Um, my Lamar take his age pretty well. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think it's Rodgers is right now. I mean, I think it has to be. There are 11 and too many plays. Like people forget that one loss came with, you know, one of those losses came with Jordan Love in it at the helm. Rodgers has the second highest QBR in football only to Matt Stafford. 30 TDs to four picks. The tied eighth. Best touchdown-to-interception ratio in a single season in NFL history. Uh, he's seventh in completion percentage, tenth in passing yards. He's got two game-winning drives. And I think the most important component of all of this, the Packers are going to take the NFC one seed. Uh, I would almost guarantee it at this point, you know. Um, like you said, there's definitely other guys that are in the running. Um, you can still have love for Brady. I believe he leads the NFL in passing TDs. He is, as you said earlier, Carson, he is basically the entire offense for the Bucks. They rely very little on Fournette in the backfield. Brady's probably three for me, though. And I'd also say another guy that was really high up there early on in the season was Kyler Murray. And I don't know if Kyler's up there for me after these past two weeks. I'd have Jonathan Taylor second, honestly, man. Like, I think he, I think he deserves a lot of credit for what he's doing. Um, 
you have a perplexed face a little bit there, Carson. I just think it's tough for a running back, man. But, I mean, 1,500 total yards, 17 TDs. Uh, this is... It sucks, man, because it's like if Derrick Henry didn't win the MVP award last year against Rodgers, why would they do it? And that's the the pushback. Henry goes for 2K and can't land it. And that sucks, man, because I think I, I think uh, I think Jonathan's going to pass 2,000 scrimmage yards on the season. He may, uh, with three games left, he may be able to surpass 2,000 rushing. They're my top two, though, for sure. Um, Brady, if Brady gets up to like 45 TDs, if the Bucks went out, he could play with it. But those are my top three right now, and I've got Taylor at two, Rodgers at one. But for me at this point in the season, I think it's Rodgers' MVP to lose. Interesting. Here's what I'll say the difference would be between last year and this year if you're talking about the running back case. I don't think we can compare Rodgers' resume this year to what it was last year. Statistically, he had basically a perfect season in 2020. I mean, the 48 touchdowns to five picks, yards per attempt a little bit higher, completion percentage up by 71. I mean, the guy was just on another planet, and he hasn't quite been on that level this year. But still, I mean, he's Aaron Rodgers, and the guy is just phenomenal. And after a brutal opener, also against the New Orleans Saints, his last 12 games, he's 11-1 and with 3,350 yards, 30 touchdowns to two picks. It's pretty sensational. Like, there's just an ability to be efficient and methodical and get something out of just about every drive and not make mistakes that is unbelievable. I still think, though, there is a legitimate argument for Brady, and it is to me that Sure, Taylor is responsible for a huge amount of the Colts' offense, but, I mean, the passing game really has been everything for Tampa Bay, which, by the way, has been the top-scoring offense in football. And if we're comparing Brady to Rodgers, well, Brady still has almost 900 more yards. He's got six more touchdowns, but also, they're throwing the ball way more. I mean, he has 160 more attempts. So you have to toggle all these things because it's like, yeah, he's had way more chances. He's had much higher volume. He has been less efficient. He has seven more picks. He has fewer yards per attempt. He has a lower touchdown percentage. But also, it's more challenging, you could argue, to single-handedly kind of carry this offense to being significantly more productive than the Packers, which is the number 14 scoring offense. So you kind of have to balance, okay, is being higher volume on the best offense in football, but also being less efficient in basically every statistical category enough to give a guy like Brady the award when he also has the better weapons. I mean, obviously, it's not like their guys have been healthy all year, but there's easily four Buccaneers weapons who you're taking over Green Bay's number two. And when... Neither guy has a top 20 run game, so it's not like you can say, okay, they're really relying on that aspect. I would say Rodgers. I do think the turnovers for Brady are kind of a deciding factor there. But I think that it's closer. And I think that Taylor is clearly third. I wouldn't have him in that top two just because I think quarterbacks are ultimately so much more valuable and impactful. But if you want to look at a stat about Jonathan Taylor's impact on the team, Over the Colts' first five weeks, 
He was not on the field for more than 55% of their offensive downs a single time. They averaged 21.6 points per game in that stretch, and they were 1-4. Over their last nine weeks, Taylor has been on the field for at least 65% of their snaps in every game and has been into the 70s often and into the 80s a couple times, and they have put up 30 points per game, scored at least 37 of nine times, and he has 1,191 rushing yards and 16 total touchdowns in that stretch. So that's a blend of unbelievable raw production, efficiency, we're talking about yardage output and scoring that is also driving your team to be a completely different offense and to win a whole lot more games. So he certainly belongs on the podium, no doubt about that. I just tend to lean quarterbacks in this conversation. But, I mean, compared to last year's race, it's an underwhelming selection, I would say. I think that Josh Allen is easily winning MVP if it's this year. I think Patrick Mahomes from last season is winning MVP if it's this year. And I think Derrick Henry probably winning MVP too. Like, it's just not the kind of, obviously, all-time race that we had last year. But I would agree with you and I would go Rodgers. Yeah, and I thought you laid out. Uh, I thought you laid out the Brady versus Rogers debate really well. Um, all the components of it, and I mean, I guess the last leg would just be that maybe you look at in the clutch. Like I don't know, like a that late drive against the Cowboys that ended up winning them the game, um, finishing off the Bills. You know, I'm trying to look at other other things for Brady, but. I think those are all components. I'm I'm still going Rodgers. Outside of the guys we listed, do you think anybody has an, a genuine chance at at somehow like coming out of nowhere and stealing it? No. Do you? No, I mean I briefly considered like Mahomes, Stafford, like Let me ask you this. This is some guy that I don't think has been talked about at all because I can never see this happening in football ever. Actually, I'll throw two guys out there that could break records. If Cooper Cup somehow would surpass 2,000 yards receiving, do you even look at him at all? And then if TJ Watt, I get he's on a shitty team, so it doesn't make sense. If TJ broke Strahan's single-season sack record, do you even look in the direction of those guys? Interesting questions. Cooper Cup would have to get 500-something yards in three games. I don't see that happening, but that being said, he's been insanely productive. I think it would be really hard to make a case for him, just given how well-schemed that offense is, the fact that he does have such a good quarterback throwing him the ball. Like, the dude is great. I don't know that I could ever look myself in the face and say, yeah, he's the MVP of the league. And then TJ, I mean, the guy is obviously unbelievable and is giving you 17 and a half sacks in 12 games. Like, it's an all-time defensive season. I think that probably he would have to have a couple more insane moments in games and the Steelers would have to pick up some big wins in a very challenging stretch of the schedule. And even then, it's kind of like, I don't really see it, man. I mean, we got Alan Page. That was great. (laughs) <laughs> He's our MVP for defensive players and Lawrence Taylor, but mm-hmm. I don't think it's ever happening again. It's crazy though, man. He's been our best player in the clutch. <laughs> yeah, no, he's insane. And this is what I said at the mid season point. It's like 
the tiebreaker between him and Miles Garrett then for me for defensive player of the year was I mean TJ just has more of those moments where it's okay he actually just swung a game forcing a turnover and the guy is unbelievable really truly is all right let's switch gears here and talk about a team that has been red hot and in fact has won six straight games after an abysmal start and that is the Miami Dolphins who are now sitting at 7-7 seven and seven after picking up a win yesterday. What do you make of all this, Logan? I mean, I think first and foremost, um, we're getting the Dolphins team that we expected out of the gates last season because, I don't know, man, like a lot of people had written this team off as, oh, they're in the Jags, the Texans, the Lions conversation. I mean, you can see why. I mean, they get bludgeoned by the Bills, they get destroyed by the Buccaneers, they lose to the Jags, they lose to the Falcons. Like I, I get why teams were lump why people were lumping them in there, but they've really found their uh you know their real defensive identity like they had last season. They're playing so much harder. Like Brian Flores. I love Brian Flores, man. I think he is an excellent coach. I'm so glad he is at the helm here and he is he has really propelled this turnaround. This rushing defense has been so much better. They've only allowed 100 yards during this win streak one or twice in two single games. That's against the Jets both times. Um, the one thing, like, I thought they shut down Lamar, and I thought the Ravens were kind of the only team that I was genuinely impressed that they beat. You just have to look at some of this lesser mm-hmm. competition. Like, you beat the Texans, the Jets, the Panthers, and the Jets again. I think that definitely plays a heavy component into this, and that's why I don't really believe in the Dolphins as a genuine playoff contender. I know they're there. They're on the brink, as are, as is the rest of the entirety of the AFC at this point. <laughs> like, literally everybody's in the race. I think they lose all three of these last three games because they're just not as good. Um, and then, like, like, on field, tangibly, again, the defense has gotten a lot better. I thought the offensive line has performed better. They've gotten some decent rushing performances, uh, they, they ran all over the Jets last game. They have they've had two other hundred rushing yard performances during this stretch. The interesting thing is to look at what they've done with Tua. And I thought you saw that pick right that was circling the internet the uh, mm-hmm. the pick that Tua threw. I don't like that's what I am still skeptical of, man. It's like this offense isn't complicated, and that's what I. That's what I'm always going to circle back to with the limitations of this offense. This can be a good team if you have a really good running game. I think they can be successful like the Patriots, Carson. I genuinely mean that. Maybe not to that extent, but I think they can run a schematically similar formula and win games like the Pats do because they can have a really good defense. They can have a really solid running game, and they can have a really short dink and dunk attack. But it's like when teams key in on that, because it's all it is. All the Dolphins' passing attack is five-yard in route. Um curl, uh, 10 yard out, 10 yard in, um, drag route, slant here. Uh, we're going to hit the flat. We're going to hit a five yard curl. It's all super simple, short reads for Tua to make. And it's like when defenses key in on that stuff like that's going to happen. That was not a ball that Tua threw with a lot of force, man. Mm-hmm. He lollipop that one over there. And that's why I got taken back for a pick six. And it's ugly. That is the ugly side of Tua. I know I'm stating the obvious. I know I'm beating a dead horse at this point with this point, but it's like Tua is still a limiting factor. Like Mac Jones is still a limiting factor for the Patriots. Not as much. And look, man, there's a lot of things I like about mm, Tua. Really? Too. I you think, think Tua so. is less limiting than Mac. Interesting. 
No, no, no. I think he's more limited. I, I said oh. that backwards. If that's what you got, gotcha. I I would take Mac more. Like, there's a lot of things that I think that Tua does well. Um, they were breaking down the film of him the other game. Tua's super accurate, and he's super smart and conscientious about thinking about his wide receivers when he's throwing the ball. He does a good job of placing balls in spots where guys are going to be able to catch it and run and not get hit, or catching it and avoiding a big hit over the middle. He's dead-eye accurate, but you are never going to have a scary vertical passing attack with Tua, in my opinion. Do you think I'm wrong on that? I don't think you ever will. I don't think teams are ever going to fear you over the top with Tua as your QB. Not at all. I completely agree, and I think that this is how the Dolphins have come around to being what we expected. Like, nobody thought coming into the year that this was going to be a three-win team like they were on the trajectory to be, or a two-win team, given the fact that they had one win at the midway point of the season. But this is what we should have expected. They are a team that is severely limited by a completely underwhelming run game and by a quarterback who really doesn't have a single dynamic trait and doesn't throw the ball with considerable velocity. Like, he's just not an impressive arm talent. So we saw that last year. We've seen it again this year. It's kind of just undeniable. I mean, Tua's not a franchise quarterback. Tua's going to be, in my opinion, a journeyman a plug-and-play starter, a guy you bring in for one year, and you can win 10 games with if you've got a really good roster. What I think is relevant and why we've seen this turnaround is just, I mean, that their defense has become what we expected, really, because I never expected this to be even an average offense, and I picked them to win eight games before the year, but I thought it was going to be a really good defense, as it was last year. And over their last six weeks, they're letting up 13.2 points per game, They've forced 14 turnovers, which was their bread and butter last year. And yeah, they've capitalized on playing some really bad teams. On top of the four you mentioned, they also beat the Giants. Like, if you look at those five games, Texans, Giants, Panthers, Jets twice, they aren't worse than any of those teams. And they've really never been worse than any of those teams. I mean, that's kind of beaten up on the seller of the NFL, but that's what you expect a team that has a really good defensive foundation, but significantly underwhelming offense, but they're well-coached. That's what they're supposed to do. They're supposed to beat up on the bad teams and then not pull off those kind of magical upsets. And over those first eight weeks, they would have had to do that. They played the Bills twice. They played the Colts. They played the Bucks. Those are the kind of games that they're just not equipped to win. They're not equipped to put up 30 points against really good teams like that. And their defense was not playing at the level necessary to even keep them competitive. So they are what they are. Two is what he is. This is a team that has found a way to be respectable like they should have been. They're not a playoff caliber team, and I don't think that their future looks overly bright, but I agree with you. Brian Flores is a really good coach, and I'm very glad that he has been able to redeem this season for them so that this wasn't just an utter disaster because it really never should have been. I think, uh, yeah, well said. I think two is lefty Chad Pennington, Carson. Yeah. Very apt. I mean, look, Tua leads the league in completion percentage. Lord knows Chad Pennington was a little special guy in that respect. It's <laughs> <laughs> very weirdly phrased. But yeah, this is who he is. I think it's been apparent since he really came in as a rookie. And yeah, that's early to make any sort of strong assessments about what a guy can be. But he just screams game manager. And that's okay as long as he doesn't make the kind of killer mistakes like he did 
in that last game, and he's had a couple of those moments this year. I mean, eight picks for him, it's not a huge number, but it's probably a little high still given how simple his job really is. Can you think of any quarterback in the mold of Tua that has ever, ever won a Super Bowl? And I mean in, like, I don't... Like, I was trying to think about this, man. Because we're moving away from this style of quarterback in the NFL, obviously. You know what I mean? Like, you need to have some dominant kind of trait that makes you special that where, you know, you have an innate feel for the game, you have a rocket arm, you're super mobile. Mm -hmm. I I genuinely, like, I don't think I can... Like, two is smart and two is accurate, but I don't know if there's ever been a guy like... like Tua that has won a Super Bowl. Like, I mean, even... I was thinking recently, I was thinking Joe Flacco, you know? Joe Flacco had a rocket, man. Like, back in the day, he mm, could yeah. he could sling it. I, like, Trent Dilfer? I I don't know if there's ever been a quarterback. I'm not saying that that should be the expectation here, because I completely agree with you. Tua's a stopgap. Tua is a is a transition QB to when you get your Super Bowl QB. Um, I don't know, man. I just think that's kind of out of the water, and I think the Dolphins, looking back, might... Might really regret that one, man. I, I just think that the league is really moving away from guys like Tua, and I don't think that maybe Tua will develop more and we'll see we'll see them start taking more vertical shots as he gets older and older, but I just don't think you're ever going to be able to win a Super Bowl with a guy like Tua. Completely agree. Again, I think he's a come-and-go starter. I think he's going to be like a Tyrod Taylor kind of guy. Like, it's going to be, okay, well, we're transitioning. Let's bring in Tua. And yeah, that's not exactly what you want from one of the top picks in the draft in a loaded quarterback class. Sometimes that's what you get, though. <laughs> and uh, we'll see at what point the Dolphins come to terms with that and move on. But that decision is undeniably coming at some point over the next few years. All right. So with that, Logan, one last conversation here. And it's one that maybe at some point the Dolphins were involved in, but they are certainly not anymore. And it's one that I think has been shaken up a little bit over recent weeks. And that is, as we sit here with three weeks remaining in the regular season, who is the worst team in the NFL, Logan? To me, I, I think the worst team in the NFL is the Jags. Um, it's it's honestly, it's pretty close for me, man. Maybe you'll disagree. I, I think it's between them and the Jets. Um, uh-huh. And I think, like, the Jets might have been my pick, but I really like Robert Sala. I like the energy that he brings. I like his mentality. I think he's going to be a good coach in this league. Just as a is just a leader of men. And I thought it was kind of accentuated, man. How many how many trick plays did the Jets pull out of their ass against the Dolphins just to stay competitive? The um oh, what was that play? They like threw like a, a in route and then this dude lateraled it, uh threw it off. It was I don't know, man. They pulled out every play in the playbook against the Dolphins. Um just to stay competitive, and I think that really speaks volumes about your team as a franchise. I like the Jets' defense a little more, so I didn't go with them, even though they are dead last in points per game. Um, Jacksonville does a lot of things that I like. I I, I think their secondary is okay. Um, <laughs> what? You're so optimistic. How can you go from talking about how... You're a bigger fan of the Jets' defense, the worst in football, and then say there's a lot of things that you like about the Jags. I mean, this is how Logan Camden does things, but okay, go for it. I'm going to get into it. Like, I'm not saying on the defensive end. I like the Jags' secondary a little bit. 
I like the Jags push uh, that they can get up front in the run game. I like their running game a little bit, but it's like, I don't know, man. A lot of these guys, a lot, these, we're picking straws here, man. These guys suck, but <laughs> they both are severely limited by their rookie QBs. Like, dude, I'm not saying that Urban Meyer like didn't call games, but Urban like would just kind of some games just say, all right, Trevor, let's see what you got, kid. Bevel limited Trevor in this game. Bevel said, we are going to run and we are going to pound up the middle. We are going to, like, third and fives. They are running up the middle, and it worked. Um, So there's things I like. They're just so limited by their QBs, though. Uh, The Jags have a decent pass rush when healthy. But I I just think it comes down to... I think it comes down to a few things. The worst offense in the NFL by total points, and they've got the least turnovers forced in the NFL. Those are the two key stats for me about the Jags. I don't really know what... Man, the Jets are pretty bad, too. Again, we're picking straws, but I think it's the Jags. I think it's really close, but the two teams that should not be in this conversation. I think it's Jets and Jags, Carson, and then I think it's Texans and Lions. Mm -hmm. I think the Texans and Lions are in a different class of bad. I think they're the slightly better bad teams, and then the Jets and Jags are just at the bottom. I think that they're the bottom two teams. I don't know if I would go completely different tier, but yeah, I think that I probably lean Jags too. I mean, a major factor for them has been just the historically bad negative 18 turnover differential, their first in turnover percentage, their last in turnover percentage forced. And I mean, that'll kill you obviously over and over again. And they haven't played to their strengths. Like the lack of utilization of James Robinson this whole year where they're 29th in rush attempts just sucks. Like, James Robinson has been more efficient on the ground than he was last year. The Jags averaged the sixth most yards per attempt, and yet they've never done that. Instead, they've said, hey, Trevor, let's see what happens with you. And he said, okay, is it cool if I throw twice as many picks as I do touchdowns? And they say, yeah, that's fine. So that hasn't been great. I think that the Jets, another team where negative 14 turnover differential, worst scoring defense in football, very bad situationally, Quarterback play also has been atrocious except for one awesome moment from Mike White. They've had a couple more weird, like, peak games offensively. Obviously, the Mike White game and picking up a win over the Titans. Like, the Jags haven't had any moments like that. Even their wins, I mean, beating the Bills, obviously, that never should have happened. That was a freak 9-6 game. But the Jets are really bad, too, and actually have an even worse point differential. They're negative 12.7 to negative 12.4 for the Jags. And then, you know... The Texans for sure suck too, man. I mean, they're right again in that negative 12-point differential category. Not really many things that they do well. I would say, though, just in the context of this year, they have had more competent quarterback play between Tyrod and then mostly Davis Mills, obviously, like just as far as not turning the ball over a ton, you know, completing a competent amount of your attempts, like just things to kind of keep them afloat. But they've also had some hideous, hideous losses. And then I think I agree with you. I mean, the Lions have to be probably the best team in this conversation, even though pretty recently I thought that they were on track to go winless just because of the schedule they had ahead of them. But like beating two legitimately good teams and they've been competitive in every game since their bye, except for their awful loss to the Broncos last week. But like they have the best quarterback play. I would say that they're the best coached. 
they also are able to run the ball well in stretches. Like, yeah, let's not get it twisted. They're still a pretty bad football team, and they're really, really bad situationally too. But overall, I think they're probably the best. And I would agree. I think the Jags are the worst, but the Jets make a very compelling case. Yeah, and there was a chance where I genuinely thought that the Lions might lose out. We had that conversation. I thought the only game that they might could win was against the Falcons. Yeah. And then, uh, you know, they end up pulling out. Uh, they end up pulling this one out against the Cardinals. Uh, they tie the Steelers. They end up beating the Vikes. Um, so, I definitely think they're there. I never thought, man. Like, I thought the Lions could go winless. I never thought they were that bad, though. Again, like you said, man. Really well coached. This team is strong in the trenches. And look, I was telling Angelo about this uh, now that I'm back home. My my friend Angelo, devout Lions fan, loves him to death. Although he says in fantasy every week he picks up the opposing defense that they're going against. Smart man. Great call. Um, <laughs> I was telling him, dude, I really like the Lions' future. I really do. Um, just with Dan Campbell as head coach, I love the fire intensity and brain that he brings to this team. I love Penny Sewell. He has gotten so much better as the season has gone along. And I love where they are at in the... Oh, and Taylor Decker. Like, you have got your tackles of the future. You've got a running back that is really dynamic in DeAndre Swift. Hawkinson is a great valve to have. Um, and then you have Aguara, who's going to come back healthy next season. And you're either going to get Kayvon Thibodeau, likely... Ooh, ooh. Well, if they drop, they could actually miss out on Thibodeau and Hutchinson. I hadn't even thought about that. I need them to stay up there, and I need them to get one of those top two. That sucks, man. I hadn't even thought about that. I really like the Lions if they were going to be able to get Hutchinson and Thibodeau. If they can land one of those guys, I like them in the trenches for the future. Well, look, they are still behind both the Texans and the Jets. Oh, okay. So, because they are have obviously the two wins and the tie, whereas the Texans and the Jets both have the three wins. So as long as they don't go ahead and, you know, really make a lion situation out of this, then they should have a chance at one of those guys. But I mean, they could totally still go out there and beat the Falcons and then, you know, they're screwed. Go, uh, go lions it up. What do you think? I, I really like, man. I think that they need, obviously I'm not saying that they're one piece or two pieces away. I think you need more wideouts. Like I like Amon Ra St. Brown. I like uh I like Khalif Raymond. You need a number one go to guy on offense. You need a number one QB because Jared Goff is not that guy. Mm-hmm. And then I think you just need to shore up your linebacking core. But after that, like I think the Lions could be a really competitive, interesting team. Yeah, I think that they're probably further along roster wise than anybody else in this conversation. And I think should have the most confidence that they have their actual coach. And uh, we'll see how that dynamic unfolds because they are definitely still a couple years away and a couple years away in the NFL is never a good thing. Tension spans and patience runs very, very short. But I would agree with you in that they definitely are in a spot to where they can build out this roster and have a very solid foundation. But like... There can always be optimism, and uh, I don't know. They've got a lot to do to actually, I would say, deserve that optimism, but maybe they can make it happen. For now, though, let's not get it twisted. They still suck, and they still have to go out there and watch Jared Goff be one of their better players week in and week out, and that's not a fun experience. So 
with that, we hope this was a fun experience. I mean, as always, a little bit of nerd sesh for you as we get into holiday season. What could be better? We are going to, again, as I said at the end of last episode, not quite have our normal content schedule over the next few weeks, obviously, with it being holiday season and whatnot. But we're still going to come out with stuff for you guys. And you can always find our podcasts on Apple, Spotify, wherever you get your audio content. Probably not going to have a video element for that over these next couple weeks. But normally, you can go to our YouTube channel, see that we live stream shows Monday, Wednesday, Friday. You can also find our video essays, video breakdowns that we do on our YouTube channel. You can head over to our website, nerdsesh.com, to see all of our content. And you can follow us on social media. Twitter is at nerd underscore sesh. And Instagram and TikTok are both at nerdsesh. And with that, as always, I've been Carson Brabber. I've been Logan Camden. And this was Nerd Sesh.